Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Iranian-American photographer Sina Naziri describes his ability to catapult viewers into every scene he captures as a kind of gonzo journalism curiosity. He brings the audience along with him, always thinking about what they want to see. And as a self-taught photographer, this path was in no way easy. And he continues to craft a life that enables him to work with the necessary sacrifices. In a surprising turn of events, 2020 became the year that put Cena on the map. And during the show, we talk about the highs and lows of building a career in the photo industry, what makes a good photo in his eyes, the pressure and discomfort that comes with figuring out your style, maintaining it and then evolving it, as well as the rhythm of working and understanding what conditions you need to make your very best work. I do come into every situation with like wild, open, childlike eyes. I don't do a lot of research or plan much at all. I think it's a lot more beneficial for me to just be thrown into the moment and meet people instantly. I don't want to have preconceived judgments. It all comes from kind of a position of curiosity, a position of respect for the person or the place. I'm Jen Fletcher, and this is The Messy Truth, Conversations on Photography. Sina Naziri is an LA-based photographer who has spent the last three years working on assignments for The New York Times, Vogue, GQ, Departures, The Sunday Times, and Interview Magazine, as well as collaborating with clients like Tom Brown. It's hard to imagine this now, but just a few years ago, Cena was a lawyer in a top US firm, but he gave it all up to follow an artistic path. And he's been pushing at the edges of what portraiture and editorial assignments can be ever since. I'd love to start by talking a little bit about your upbringing and how it informed the way you move through the world. Could you talk a little bit about that experience? Talking about my my upbringing is is a little weird for me because, you know, my memory is not great. You know, I kind of have these kind of ideas of what my upbringing was, but I don't know, you know, how how truly accurate they are from a historical perspective. But I am a first-generation American and certainly a child of immigrants. You know, that's probably my main you know, the main thing that has influenced my life. And I think when you're a first generation immigrant, and a lot of us kind of have this similar experience, you're, you're hustling, you know, you're striving, you know, your parents aren't on a great footing a lot of the time, and you don't have kind of the family structures, the social structures to support you. So you're just kind of moving day to day, trying to fit in in a new culture, where language is an issue, where kind of food is different where just the way you live is different than the people around you um and you know that's had a big effect on my life in terms of kind of being on this border of being an insider and an outsider at the same time really always wanting to be part of like the normal crowd where people would just kind of understand me and I wouldn't have to explain my name Cena every time I introduce myself you know it becomes kind of a what is that? You know, is that your real name? You just immediately become kind of separated from people in a way. And then there's just like, you know, the the dominant thrust of my personality, I guess, is just to kind of like prove myself and be the best, the best possible at whatever it is I'm doing, you know, kind of to maybe like a compulsion, a compulsive kind of aspect that borders on unhealthy probably in terms of you know personal life and just going maybe too hard at certain things or being too tough on yourself and I think that has a lot to do with my personality I mean my upbringing my parents overachievers you know school must be you know the best must have a pluses etc etc 
so yeah, that was a big part of my of my life growing up, and I guess it's had a big effect on me now. Thinking thinking back, as I was saying, like you and I have this kind of kinship in that we both had quite nomadic childhoods, and for me, and I feel like in some ways for you, like it forced me to develop a set of skills which I feel like in some ways parallels the skills that are required to make pictures in that I moved around a lot. I had to, you know, be able to talk to lots of different people to make new friends in different places and sort of keep rebuilding a life from scratch, if you like. And I feel like that led me to have this almost like obsessive sense of curiosity and I which I actually still have and I'm very grateful for but for me it feels like you have some of that essence as well and that's one of the reasons why you know you're so great at street and documentary photo that you can really connect with people very quickly in challenging situations well I guess I'm curious if that kind of feels like it rings true for you yeah I think it does we did move around a lot kind of when I was a kid and I mean my parents were academics and sort of we went from you know, university to university in California and upstate New York in Maryland. And, and yeah, I mean, it, it just kind of taught me to, you know, in a way, in some ways I'm kind of a people pleaser, you know, I get, I just want people to feel comfortable around me and be open. And I'm just, you know, one of my first memories as a kid was going on kind of long car trips and just staring at the window, out the window at kind of people in other cars. And I just remember thinking each of these people has like an interesting story in a life. And I wonder what it is. And that's like something that's kind of stuck with me. You know, like I just kind of look, I observe, and I'm just curious about what people are up to, you know, what's going on in that head. Like, can I come home with you? Can I photo your, your living room? You know, like, I don't know. I just think, over experience over time, you know, every single person that I end up talking to and stopping, there's something kind of, you know, profound that I learn about them and about myself in a weird way. I mean, it sounds kind of corny, but it's true. I mean, I just have this kind of drive to understand people and really kind of have them be like comfortable around me that's been there for a long time. And I think it's really helpful, you know, in terms of making photos and just kind of trying to make photos that are a little different and eye catching and kind of not doing the same thing that you've seen before. I think that's part of like a curiosity as well that really drives me. And yeah, I think you're right. It comes back to kind of moving around and and also just, you know, being a little different, like thinking of yourself as a little bit of another in like American society. I think that was a big kind of issue for me. Yeah. And you didn't train in photo. You actually, which I think a lot of people don't know. I think, you you know, you had this sort of whole other career as a successful lawyer in a huge firm in New York. Like, could you tell us a little bit about that journey into photography and why photography was such a important calling for you? Well, I don't know how successful I really was. I mean, I was, <laughs> I guess, yeah, nominally I was, I was quite successful. I did work for like a large law firm and I did pretty well at uh, law school. Um, never really enjoyed it. So like successful in terms of like, you know, real success, being happy, being fulfilled in what you do. There was very little of that, but yeah, I kind of just became a lawyer for, for not, not a great, not a like a lot of great reasons. I was just kind of didn't know what to do. I was good at school. You know, I was wanted to keep doing school, I guess. I mean, it was something I was good at and I didn't know what I was going to do in the real world. So I was like, well, I could just kind of keep doing this. And I think that that actually came from my dad who had like a bunch of degrees and was like a lifelong student. You know, he went to like pharmacy school. He got an MD and he was just like always in school till he was like post 40, which is crazy. But yeah, I think I got a little bit of that. So I just continued the school path, became a lawyer in New York City. And, you know, I just realized it didn't really represent my personality at all. I mean, you're stuck inside. You're behind a computer all day. You're in like this kind of large building and you're not really learning about people or meeting people in a real way. You're everything is kind of shuffled through this like legal legalese. You know, you're like dealing with people every day, but you don't really get to know much about them or like anything important. You're just dealing with them in terms of like 
this arcane kind of legal construct, legal language, etc. And, you know, eventually I really got burnt out. I just really hated what I was doing. I realized it was wasting my life in a way. And, you know, I, I sort of just stumbled upon photography. I had no training whatsoever. Still really don't. And I just, I think I just got really lucky to find something that I feel like I'm pretty good at and meshes with my personality in terms of I get to go outside. It's a real excuse to just like chat up whoever you want to learn about them without being like totally like a social weirdo, you know, (laughs) I've always liked just like striking up a conversation with people. And I think as the world changes a little, I feel like that's becoming weirder and weirder in a way, like, especially even in the last like three or four years, I think people are really siloed. People are really like stick to themselves a lot. So true. And it's becoming, I I do think it's becoming crazier and crazier. I don't know, you know, if it's the internet, it's the pandemic, it's sort of this like privacy surveillance state that we've put ourselves into unwittingly in a way, slowly by slowly. But yeah, I mean, even just like, since 2020, you know, I took a long road trip in 2020 and did a lot of work. And I've noticed since then, you know, that like the national or like the world kind of the idea, like the the mental, the mental mindset of the world has kind of closed off a bit. And maybe it's just me. And maybe people aren't feeling that, but I, I'm feeling that. And it's becoming, it's becoming harder and harder to connect with people and to make good pictures um, because that's like the basis I think for a really good picture is you really need to get in there. You know, you need, you need to be close. You need to like understand people and you can't really do it from, from that far away. At least I can't. It's so interesting what you're saying, because I definitely have noticed like here, like since Brexit and then the pandemic, uh, I've definitely noticed more of like, I don't know, more of an extreme polar reaction in that some people feel much colder and closed off than they did before whereas other people and I mean total strangers are like full-on TMI with you and you can just strike up a conversation in the supermarket but then people are telling you the most intimate details of their lives I find that like our social skills have just gone a bit haywire if you like and we can't and I I find it myself I'm exactly the same and yeah, it's just, it is a challenge, but I I had noticed that, but not thought about how it impacted picture making. That's really interesting. Yeah, I've noticed it myself too. Like I'm a lot less open, which is sad because I think that was like, you know, one of the best things about me. I'm a, I'm a lot more shy too. You know, I look back at some pictures from like when I was first starting out 2018, 2019, just kind of roaming the streets of New York. And I'm like, I can probably never make that picture right now. You know, I don't have that kind of energy and openness and like, comfort with just photoing in that style which I think is like kind of a normal maybe a normal shift for a photographer or for a creative in that way. I'm aware that not everybody might know your story because 2020 was this really defining year for your career in the correct me if I'm wrong you kind of started it with a very kind of like make or break attitude like you just you were like I need to figure out if this is going to work and then things unraveled in an unexpected way. Could you take people back to like the beginning of 2020 and just kind of tell people kind of how things unraveled for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I didn't really start photoing at all until kind of 2017 and my like full education was kind of just walking around New York, learning to use a camera, learning how to approach people, um, learning what a good photo is, you know, just going to kind of the ICP library and looking at as much as I can, a lot of like, you know, Instagram and just kind of seeing what other people were doing. You know, I really had no idea about the history of photography, what made a good photo. You know, I did have kind of like a love of art in my childhood and a lot of kind of like cultural Luckily, I had like a lot of cultural education that I think helped me, you know, like, I think I just kind of had an idea of what like a good composition would be, you know, just kind of intuitively or just via like learning about art. But anyway, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing and and obviously it wasn't getting a lot of traction as a photographer because, you know, the photos weren't that great and I had no connections and 
you know, I didn't have a lot of good ideas, you know, I didn't have like assignments for myself or like anything like that. And, but it made me really depressed as a, like, you know, again, as like a overachieving type to not be that good at something or recognize, you know, like there was like a real depression involved where I was like, well, this isn't going well. A lot of people had told me like, this is a really hard thing to break into, you know, like, and it's kind of on the downswing, you know, magazines, everything, it's all going down. Like maybe this isn't the best thing to get into. And, you know, at a certain point after doing it for like two years, I was like, well, maybe they were right. You know, maybe this isn't the best, maybe like I'm not that good. Maybe this is just like sort of, I'm again, like going to fail at this. And so I kind of had like a last ditch idea where I was like, well, I will drop everything. I will just go on the road to cover like the U.S. election and sort of something that I knew would be kind of monumental, something that I had an understanding of, you know, American culture, American politics. It was something that I was comfortable with. I knew a lot of the backstory and, you know, America's my home. So I, I felt like this was something that I had something to say. And I just threw myself in it and sort of like, I was like, I'm going to drive to Iowa for the presidential primaries and with no, you know, backup, no, no like access or anything. I'm just going to kind of figure it out. And luckily I got an assignment in Iowa, like on basically on the way there, Olivia Horner had heard that I was doing this project and she needed some photos for my, for Iowa, for Vogue. And she took a chance on me and, you know, having that kind of like one shot where I was like, this is probably going to be my only shot. You know, I just worked so hard and I just did everything that I could do to like make pictures, tell the story of what was really going on and kind of my way, like from the side, you know, not from straight on, but sort of like from an angular way. That was a way that I thought was like a little less represented, especially in the, the world of politics where everything is kind of, at least at that time, you know, you kind of had to do it in a certain way because there's a lot of like worries about bias, you know, in the media. And like, if you're taking kind of weird pictures that are a little off, they're probably not going to get published in the New York Times or in these big places because there's a, there's a concern there that some people are going to think you're trying to make people look bad or you're not taking like the normal picture of someone smiling or waving or at the podium. So what is the story here? What are you trying to do? You know, so and that's like a real concern. But I thought there was an opening there, you know, where I could just go in, do my thing without having to be like the pressure of kind of everyone seeing my stuff. And there was, and I was right, I think, because a lot of people latched onto what I was doing. And I began to kind of like build up this kind of groundswell of supporters and followers who were watching what I was doing and like getting something out of it. And, and they were telling me, you know, like we're learning a lot about the process was actually going on. That made me really happy. You know, like a lot of people from internationally were like, we're getting a lot of our U S election news from you on the ground, like my little videos, my interviews with people, my photos. And that just like made me really happy. made me really kind of feel like I had a purpose and I was actually helping in some way or showing like aspects of American life, American culture that weren't being covered. And that's been something that just kept me going for that whole year. I was like, you know, people are getting something out of this. I'm moving. I went to, you know, 35 different states. I drove like 25, 30,000 miles, I think, and ended up just kind of continuing and just somehow just pushing through and just doing work every single day, meeting, you know, 20, 30 people every single day and talking to them. And so, yeah, that's, that's basically my story and how kind of I got some sort of notoriety and how people started, I guess, trusting me and, and, and wanting to see what I was, what I was making. It's interesting. You talked about audience then is audience something that you think about or you prioritize in any way? I mean, I always consider myself kind of the audience. Yeah. Like I always put myself in the shoes of the audience. Like what would I want to see? Because most people are, are kind of stuck where they are. They can't just like go they don't just like fly to Iowa, you know, to see like for themselves. And I'm like, well, I do have this privilege of like being able to kind of go to these places, getting access. So I think I always put myself in the shoes of the audience. I mean, really the audience is kind of like 
always in the back of my mind, like, am I getting in there enough? You know, am I, am I actually showing like what's going on? Like, is the audience going to be interested in this or like, am I only going surface level? Like I know that's going to, that's not going to have the same effect, you know, just intuitively, like if you're not really getting in there and showing people what they want to see, they're not going to connect with it as much. And yeah, I mean, I want people to connect with my work. I want, I love sharing my stuff. I like getting the feedback. I like, you know, having, having the idea that, that I've shown people what's really going on and that they, they like have a better understanding of something, not on a surface level, but like, but really getting deep in there. I'd love to talk a little bit about your process when you're sort of working on the ground because I think people you know we touched on this before but I think people often underestimate what it takes to turn it out and deliver over and over as you have over the last few years and also what it takes to build these like meaningful connections sometimes quickly that are grounded in integrity and respect there's so much kind of mental and physical labor that happens even before you pick up a camera and I was just curious if you could talk a little bit about what that looks like for you like do you have a particular process or is that changing all the time or how do you how do you best like to work when you're on assignment first of all my guiding principle is really like a position of non-judgment and respect I do come into every situation sort of with like wild open childlike eyes I mean I don't do a lot of research or plan much at all like I think it's a lot more beneficial for me to just kind of be thrown into the moment and meet people instantly, not really know too much about them before. I don't want to have like these preconceived like judgments and as much as I can. But yeah, it all, it all comes from kind of a position of curiosity, a position of respect for the person or the place. I mean, things are just, things are really complicated, you know, like you spend enough time in places like in the South, you kind of understand the effect of environment on um, people's opinions. And it sort of puts you in a position where you don't, you judge less because it's sort of like, well, you know that that's kind of all coming from their environment. So let's like go a little deeper and like approach this from like a human standpoint of, you know, maybe there's more to it, you know, maybe we can chat about it, but really like, yeah, like that's my defining kind of in terms of like, going into an assignment, I just like to go in and just kind of manically look at the room, look at wherever I am, look at the environment, drive around, kind of find the hot spots, find, find where the people are and document it like quickly, manically, without a lot of thought, without a lot of like careful compositions. A lot of the time, maybe just kind of like winging it, you know, I feel like if you just kind of let chaos guide you and chance chaos and chance are like the two things that I think guide my work the most in terms of, I don't want it to be too careful and, and protected and like thought out because I think that is something that kind of pulls you out of making a good photo a lot of the time, at least for me personally. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause there are, I think I've said this to you before, but there's like three qualities that like draw me to your work so intensely. And one of them is this emotional tempo you have to the work. Like you, your work can kind of take like a hybrid of forms and a hybrid of subject matters, but you feel so human and candid in your approach, no matter what the context. And it really feels like it's delivering the pulse of a given moment or a situation, whether that's political or scientific or something in the entertainment industry, it feels like you've sort of in the sort of chaos that you describe, like you're really tuning into the energy of a space. I, d I don't know if emotion, emotional images are really important to you. I'd be curious to know that, but it, you, you have such a skill at delivering the energy, the feeling of somewhere through your work. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's, that means a lot to me. I mean, that's kind of what it's all about. I just, I think of myself as kind of sort of a, like a conduit really, you know, now that I, now that I kind of live in LA, I can say this, um, a conduit of like, you know, the energy of the universe of wherever I am, just, I really just want it to kind of flow through me and I put my spin on it, but in some ways, you know, I try to like keep myself out of it a lot of the time. Like, you know, I love to make my like kind of quirky compositions with like, splitting the 
frame a lot and kind of having a lot going on in the frame, you know, certain lighting choices, all that stuff that's my style. But in terms of like emotion, in terms of like the energy of the photo in its visceral and its raw form, like I feel like that comes from outside of me or I, I hope I hope to. Yeah, it's interesting. For me, it's like the emotional tempo of the work, the proximity, like you're great at proximity. Like I know your work instantly. I can tell it's your picture because of these like signatures. And one of them then you just mentioned this like unexpected way that you slice up the frame, which sometimes is a bit mind blowing, honestly, because the you can make something feel like a real life collage. It almost feels cubist at, at times, like you're really building these different graphic layers, whether it's manipulating an image through light or emotion or I don't know. So I'm just like a totally random perspective, but that feels so signature to you now. You've managed to, to sort of take that aesthetic and, and ground it in all these different spaces. So we've come kind of come to know you for a style rather than a story, if you like. You can kind of apply that style to many different stories, which I think is really powerful. But how did this like way of like complicating the frame graphically come into being? Is it something you were thinking about? Is it Was it a happy accident that you kind of built upon? Thank you, thank you. That was Again, very nice to you, Jeb, and what a beautiful mind you have. Like, it just means a lot to me when you say stuff like that. I think it 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 was just like a natural evolution, you know, like early or like in 2020 and earlier, I was taking, you know, a lot of kind of simple pictures, simple portraits, which I have nothing against. And I think they're really beautiful, important. But looking back, you know, I realized that it wasn't like gripping me. It wasn't like grabbing me personally. And then just over a series, I think of just kind of looking at pictures that I took that really did grab me and, and other people, you know, other influences um, like Lee Friedlander, etc. I've realized I was really motivated by shapes and lines. That that's what was really grabbing me when like a certain line in the frame lined up with another line and created this like shape that wasn't there that I kind of created by luck or by chance and I became like really obsessed with making these lines myself, with creating them, with like having all the shapes line up in this incredibly like graphic way. I thought it was like so beautiful and like and part of making my work art and not just kind of documentary, um, which has always been like a, a primary goal of mine is to like kind of like, you know, make it a little a little ascend a bit in a way in that way. So yeah, I, I just like now, you know, like I see when I'm photoing, like I see the world kind of in these lines and shapes and now it's become almost instinctual where I will not like line up stuff without even really thinking about it. Like I took a picture the other day, like just in the hallway for Tom Brown in, in Paris. And like, I didn't really try to, but like, the lines of the photo looking back on it just like match up so perfectly. And I'm like, wow, maybe my brain has just kind of evolved to the point where I can do this naturally once in a while, or like sometimes where like, this will just happen now, which makes me, which makes me really happy because it's really hard. I mean, it's a real struggle to do it, to do it in a beautiful way that everything lines up, but you also have some kind of emotion in the picture as well like mm. where it's it has it all I mean it's really hard to make a really good photo I think everyone listening probably knows that um, to make like a really really good photo and I think a lot of it comes down to kind of everything perfectly coming together for whatever reason and I think just over time hopefully I feel like the lines and the shapes have been kind of coming together in this collage style for me that that I that makes that gives me energy and like makes me want to continue. You know, that's what really now draws me to photo is creating these kind of collages and these like dense scenes of chaos, but also there's order to it. And it's like entropic way, you know, I mean, that's, it's kind of this arranging of the universe that it like really interests me in, in a certain way. Um, and I don't know exactly why, but that's, that's what it is the sentiment of the sort of this graphic chaos in your work really reminds me of one of my favorite Hilton Owls quotes where he talks about, I think he says, I think that the artists who get to speak are those who do justice to the country's complexity in work that is as dense, strange and incomprehensible as the country that made them. 
And I've always loved that quote. And there's definitely something about that in your work, for sure, that I find, you know, really powerful. But it was interesting what you're saying then in terms of like, um, and kind of what we started talking about at the beginning, this like idea of like pressure and, and chasing, chasing something once you start to like, really shape up your voice and shape up your intention of how you want to tell stories. And then it just becomes this chase of like, can I, can I get to it? And so many artists and and writers and creatives over the years have like continually told me like what motivates them is they never quite reach it. And that's the, re- that's the whole reason why they keep going because they get so close and they learn a lot in the process, but then you got to start and do it all over again. And that is, that is like the artist way, if you like. It's being uncomfortable with never quite getting where, where you want to go. It's never really comfortable. I think every time I'm on one of these assignments or, you know, even a personal project, in the back of my mind, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm screwed. Like, how am I going to do this? You know, how am I going to how am I going to make good pictures from this seemingly mundane event or how am I going to set myself apart? Like I won't be able to do it this time. You know, that's always in the back of my head, which is kind of a horrible thing to have in the back of your head, but it really, it's worked for me in terms of, you know, just never being too comfortable to, to make a boring picture. I guess there is like a real compulsion in my head that I just don't want to make a picture that people have seen a million times or that will bore them or bore me. And a lot of it comes from kind of looking back on my archive. You know, I tried to make a book in 2020 or like in 2021 of some of my 2020 work. And I looked back at a lot of the work and I was like, I don't really like this anymore. You know, like it doesn't compel me. And it was really disappointing to me. And I was like, I don't want to do that again. You know, I want to be able to look back and say like, yeah, that's still got it. That still has the energy. That still has that kind of uncertainty and not being like just kind of taking the photo that you expect yourself to take, I guess. That there's something that surprises you about it for whatever reason, whether it was a mistake, whether you did something that you normally wouldn't do, you know, whether the light something about the light that you haven't seen before or the person or the energy or the place. It's just, I want to continue to be surprised by my own work because I know that is what will kind of keep it going into the future and keep it having kind of an energy that will kind of keep it alive. Do you think sometimes you are too hard on yourself in terms of your expectations? I don't think so. I mean, I think for me personally that this is what it takes. That's what it takes for me to make what I want to make in the end, like looking back on it, but maybe it's not the healthiest or maybe there is another like way, like a, if I could transcend that and find something beyond that, I'd be super happy. I haven't been able to do that yet, but you know, life is short and I'd love to transcend further. Mm. I, I guess I meant just in specific when you were talking about, you know, making a book about the work you shot in 2020, but you don't feel like it's kind of up to par. Like, you've been shooting less than a decade. You've achieved so much in such a short space of time. But yeah, I don't know. I'm always struck. And I guess this is like the mentoring person in me that's coming out right now. So I apologize. And you can tell me to shut up. But like, there's a sense of like, I think great work can happen quickly, but also it takes time to kind of like nurture these things and just kind of, yeah, let them breathe and let things like just roll with the ebb and flow of your practice and how things evolve. I just always like feel, I think you're not alone in the velocity in which you want to operate. I speak to people every single day in the same, in the same headspace. And I guess, and I say the same thing to them. I just like, I'm always challenging speed and I was the same as well. I had the same attitude in like the first decade of my career. And I think it's only honestly, like for me, probably only having a kid is the only thing that actually forced me to like look at that and and rethink my sort of creative strategy around it, if you like. And I think if I hadn't had a kid, I'd probably still be operating in that way. And I don't think having a kid is the answer to anything. It's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Absolutely not, actually, to be honest. But 
more just that life sometimes has has to be interrupted in a significant way for us to break free of the productivity cycle within our industry, which is very intense, especially because, you know, on paper, photography is a fast medium and everybody wants everything, you know, yesterday more than ever now in so many different contexts within the industry. But I, I just... I guess I'm always just trying to reiterate that there is time and sometimes you have to just respect that. I don't know, respect the process and and trust in the process that even though you want it tomorrow, like it actually may take five more years, but it'll be worth it because it'll be brilliant. I feel like it's easier to say that having analysed so many careers of artists who are in their, say, 60s or 70s and looking at the ebbs and flows of their career which would actually be a super interesting fit like framework for a talk actually to to get visibility to how things happen because the perception versus reality as we all know is so off that yeah it just it stirs up this pressure cooker pot in people that I feel like I almost just want to be able to take away from them and just let them be I don't know if I'm making any sense. I'm just like rambling now. I'm with no I'm with you Jim. I totally agree and I think you know I hope that you know, my, my self-criticism is, is more realistic than like negative, you know, because it's not causing me to give up, you know, for instance, this 2020 kind of body of work that I made that I was like, it's not good enough. You know, I found that to be a realistic perception. And instead Mm -hmm. of like, instead of kind of being very depressed and like quitting, I have my eyes on 2024 and the 2024 election. Like I'm, I'm ready you know, I'm motivated now to kind of get back out there again, like in the shadow of the election and have those bodies of work kind of combine, you know, mm. which I think is part of the kind of like letting it flow and, and having the time, letting kind of time do its thing, I think is very important. I, I definitely agree with you. Um, I think that if I wasn't critical enough in 2020 and I'd kind of put out this book that I wasn't as happy with, I'd probably be more depressed now than than knowing like, okay, I didn't put out something I'm not happy with and I'm going to add to it. You know, I'm going to, you know, have this kind of motivation to make something that I'm really proud of, even if it takes that four years, five years, six years, or if I have to, you know, if I have to do it again in 2028 and add on then it's, yeah. So hopefully it's not too negative. I hope that's not like coming out, but it's more realistic in my in my eye. Yeah, I don't think it's about even being negative or positive because I don't think this this sort of condition, if you like, of productivity is like obviously just built into capitalism itself. But if we like drill down to kind of how it operates within our industry, it doesn't just come from artists, you know, who are incredibly motivated, like being self-critical. It comes from the industry at large. It comes from editors who are like, are you still working on that? Or why haven't you done this? Or all this different pressure from different points of like, why don't you have a book? Why haven't you had a show? Like all of these ex- like expectations, which somehow people are trying to suggest, give you this seal of approval, where actually... It's just about making good work. It doesn't matter whether you've had a show. When you're starting out, I'm talking about specifically in the emerging context, it doesn't matter whether you've had a show or done a book. It matters that you're making great work and that people can see that work, in my opinion. I just think there's a lot of pressure to to turn out these big expressions of the work, if you like. And I know they're obviously great. Like, who doesn't like to see their work in print or on a wall of a gallery, for sure? They're really meaningful steps. But I just think there's an extraordinary amount of pressure or expectation put upon emerging artists to deliver that, you know, within the first 10 years of working, which just seems wildly unrealistic. and. I guess it's a bugbear. So I ended up unraveling about it. (laughs) But it's really exciting to think about you shooting the 2024 political situation because, you know, we can feel the tension for that already. And that's going to be really interesting. Having had that experience and then going back into it again with all that learning is going to be fascinating to see what comes out of it. Yeah, I think I've changed so much in the interim, you know, everything like personally and my style. So I'm excited to see what comes. I don't have any like real plans again, probably just going to wing it. If any, 
you know, editors or people out there want to work together, reach out. But yeah, I just, I'm trying to leave myself open to all kinds of experience and see, see what comes from it, see what I can come up with this time. You know, it's, it's, it is exciting to me because I know, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go as hard as I can and, and hopefully something I didn't think of, something surprising will emerge because you know the stuff that I can think of it's kind of boring you know when you when you plan it out when you have an idea of exactly what you're going to do it doesn't really work for me so I want to keep it loose and you know kind of I look to like Stacy Kranitz as like a really big influence on me I think you know she put out a book last year as it was given to me that was like you know I don't know if it was like over 10 years of her work and that just makes me really more comfortable to say like this, you know, such like an incredible artist and like someone who, you know, I look up to and the fact that like she really gets so deep into things and like you can tell she's working so hard all the time in this way. And like, you know, to have her kind of not really have like a huge book until, you know, I don't know if it was 10 or 15 years after so much good work, so much like energy. You know, that's like something that I look up to and hopefully I'll get there. Yeah, for sure. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was the different contexts in which you operate, because it's been really fascinating, as I said before, to see you take your style and move between, say, the worlds of news and politics to fashion, to science and tech, to street and to celebrity. Like you've just you've really proved in the last few years that you can work in all these really opposing contexts and I'm curious for you like why is that so important or what is so vibrant about that for you as an artist honestly I like to do all kinds of different things and I get really bored if I do the same you know if I was just doing politics the whole time I know I would be bored and a lot of it also is is practical there's not a lot of money in a lot of these kind of in a lot of the work that I'm interested in, there's no money. So you sort of have to tap into the few areas, the few sectors of the photo world where there is money. And I mean, that might sound crass, but it's practical where, you know, I know I'm going to need enough money to survive and like kind of fund some of these other projects that I want to do where, you know, making a book like that's, you know, a losing venture. Let's be honest, traveling around the country, covering politics. There's not a lot of money in that. So I realized that I need to like kind of learn to do everything good, you know, or like put my style and be able to do literally any assignment. And that has been like such a joy because all that stuff in the end really interests me. And I think, it, you know, every single part of that, like there's something to say about all of that, you know, like the fashion world that I've, you know, somehow like slowly snuck my way into, you know, there's a lot to say about it. And there's a lot of like pictures to make on the sly and behind the scenes that tell a story that a lot of people don't get to see, you know, in the fashion world or, you know, even even making work for brands or things like that. That's kind of like some of the hardest I find work there is like it's truly so difficult to make like an interesting picture in the normal like commercial watered down like monetary venture. And if you can mm. somehow do that, you know, and be happy with your work, like that's impressive. Like I look to like the main you know people that are doing that. And I'm like, when I see like a brand photo that's like obviously selling something and like probably usually something that like we don't need and like is kind of a net negative, but people are just mm. literally trying to survive, you know, and it somehow grabs me. That's impressive to me. That's like the mm. hard, that's the hard stuff in a weird way. I think you've always been so great at being so open about the challenges of making a living as a photographer because it's something that isn't talked about enough which is, uh, and that is hugely problematic, in my opinion. But it's, you know, you've told me before that you, I know you said you moved to LA earlier this year, but before that, you were kind of living nomadically, right? Because that was effective for the types of assignments that you were getting, you kind of needed to be nimble, but also it was more cost effective not to be you not to have roots anywhere for a period of time. And these are some of the challenge, the very real challenges that many photographers face. It's not really a question, sorry. It's more of a statement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it is really tough. I mean, 
I think it's, it's doable. You know, it's not like impossible to make a living. I see a lot of people doing, doing well and being fulfilled. A lot of people have kind of, uh, developed a niche, you know, and they do a similar kind of setup and, and they're, you know, more stable. And I think that's admirable. I think for myself that I can't do that. I would probably just get really sad. And so I've just tried to figure out a way to keep myself happy and fulfilled while also trying to make money. And, you know, there's certain things that you have to do that you have to cut back on or, you know, it makes it hard to, you know, a lot of like some of my personal relationships have definitely been affected, having to move so much, having to put so much mental effort in sort of relating to other people, relating to my work um, has it left a lot of kind of time or mental energy to kind of keep a lot of my personal relationships going, which is something I definitely want to work on. But yeah, I just think there's a lot of benefits to kind of keeping moving, keeping doing different things, keeping like keeping it going in terms of a diversity of what you're doing, a diversity of like where you are, who you meet. That helps me personally just continuing and be happy yeah it's really important right like it's all of this is like a constant learning process of like trying to figure out the conditions of your practice and the conditions of survival and you know especially in a time where in an economy where that's getting more and more challenging for all of us it's yeah it's an ongoing challenge and I guess it just comes full circle that we're privileged to also do what we do to some degree are you ready for some quick fire questions Absolutely. How do you deal with self-doubt? I would just say embrace it, you know, embrace the self-doubt. I don't think you can kind of push that away. You know, it's sort of something that you should take and own and say, how can I, how can I make this emotion that seems pernicious? How can it help me in the end? This is an interesting one for you because I feel like, you know, you've done so much great work in the last few years, but like, how do you sort of navigate the pressure to follow up after one, you know, great assignment finishes, and then you've just got to start all over again, on to the next? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a total disaster, because you're just, I mean, the whole time you're thinking, how am I going to do this? How am I going to make, how am I going to make this good again? But eventually, I think the key is to just kind of like, entering that state of um, not thinking too much and letting kind of your abilities and everything, your environment, everything that's like led up to this point, just let it flow through you and and see what happens, see what comes, you know, like if you're thinking too hard, if you're over analyzing, if you're setting stuff up too much or planning too much, then I think it makes it a lot harder, but it seems to work out, you know, if you just kind of let it flow, let your abilities run and don't try too hard in a way. I mean, work really hard, but don't try too hard. Leave your mind kind of flexible and open I think that's kind of the key to just continuing to make work I mean yeah when like a new idea comes or like that's like the most exciting part and like the new ideas for me like they don't come when you're forcing it they just kind of like show up out of nowhere like I don't know where they come you know from it's inspiration or whatever it is whether it's an accident or you did something a little different you know you don't want to like you know become too hardened so I think that's the key and what does photo enable you to do that perhaps if you'd gone down a different track or maybe you'd stayed working as a lawyer, you wouldn't have had access to or you wouldn't have had an ability to engage with? I think, yeah, like the, the happiest and like most joy I get from this job is just being able to enter these places, meet these people and really dive into things that I would never have any contact with if I didn't do this job. I just feel like really really lucky and privileged to sort of be thrust in a kind of situation out of nowhere and have kind of access to to places that I would never have access to. I mean, the thing that really defines me as a photographer is kind of just being behind the scenes. And I think people have picked up on that where I've been getting a lot of kind of work where I'm the behind the scenes photographer, you know, like whether it's at the fashion show, I get to kind of roam around and show like what's happening when no one is looking as opposed to like, you know, doing the beautiful like still portraits that are so technical and so gorgeous. I don't really get hired for that stuff. I get hired to kind of like roam around backstage at the at the Metropolitan Opera on like opening night, you know, like that's to feel that energy and to be around kind of creative people and like 
you know, I got to another example. I got to photograph one of my favorite bands making a record in Nashville, like in the studio while they were making the record. You know, I got to see how like records are made, like how that track, you know, fleshed out, like the the back and forth between like the producer and the vo- and the vocalist and the rest of the band and the engineer, like to be able to see that stuff and to be there at that time and kind of like delve into that creative energy and be like uplifted by it and be like a small part of it is just, you know, that's what it's all about to me. Like, that's just like pure luck, pure joy. And do you think photographs still have the power to shift thinking or consciousness? Of course. Yeah. I think they have an insane power, like a dangerous power to shift consciousness. You have to be really careful. I think there's, such an energy in a photograph and such a human kind of, I think humans were sort of like built to like understand a photograph and latch onto it in a way. Like it's almost human nature where there's such like a powerful energy around it that like it can become really dangerous at times. So you're always thinking about like, how will my photo be used, you know, in the future? Like, is this something that, I should hide, you know, is this something that like should be out in the world? You know, will this be misrepresented in some way? Will this lead to some kind of repercussion that isn't warranted? You know, that's always a concern. And to finish up, I wanted to ask you the question that I ask everybody at the end of the show. And that's what matters more to you, the process of making the work or the final photographs themselves? Your toughest question, Jem, um, and which is obviously <laughs> why you made it's not it your, a trick. your reoccurring uh, <laughs> question. And, you know, your gut says it's, it's about the process. It's about living in the moment. Recently, I've noticed that a lot of my memories now are just kind of replaced by photos or, you know, I find that photos become my memory, you know, and I think a lot of people have this feeling where you look through kind of your iPhone, your iCloud, your iPhone library. And like that becomes your life in a way you like, if someone like asked me what I was doing like two months ago, I would probably have like zero idea. So it's like this idea of like living in the moment, the process versus, you know, the actual outcome. I think for me, the outcome has become so important because it is my link to the process in a way. When I look at that photo, I remember the process. I remember where I was. I remember creating that and like all the craziness and all the energy it took to make that. So for me, it's becoming more linked. It's like a talisman for the experience in some ways. Definitely, definitely. I mean, it's so it's so powerful. I mean, we all know the power of nostalgia or like a smell or an idea or a feeling. And the photo, I think, can encapsulate all of that and just like really bring you back to that place, which is part of its power. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. So great to talk to you. Thank you, Jem. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at Jem Fletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at jemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.